Welcome to the Business of Learning, the Learning Leaders Podcast from Training Industry. Hi, and thanks for listening to the Business of Learning. I'm Taryn Aish, Managing Editor of Digital Content at Training Industry, here with my co-host, Associate Editor Sarah Gallo. Hi. This episode is sponsored by Alego. Are you a manager with a remote team struggling to stay on track when you can't meet face-to-face? Take control with Alego. Alego is the leading workforce learning and readiness platform built for today's distributed teams. Download your Alego virtual training kit to learn how to keep your team running at full speed. Go to alego.com slash virtual to download your kit today. That's A-L-L-E-G-O.com slash virtual. Don't let remote work stall productivity. Check out Alego today. As we record this episode in April 2020, many if not most, organizations have already implemented remote work policies in light of the coronavirus pandemic. As a result, many training managers are working to convert their in-person courses and programs into virtual training. To help organizations with these immediate needs, as well as to create a better strategy going forward, today we're speaking with two experts on how to convert in-person instructor-led training, or ILT, into virtual instructor-led training, or VILT. We have two guests with us today. Cindy Huggett is a consultant and facilitator who helps organizations and training professionals move to the virtual classroom and has written several books on virtual training. Heather Schultes, the Director of Global Training at TransPerfect and a certified professional in training management. Heather and Cindy, welcome to the Business of Learning. Hi, it's, it's nice to be here. Thank you for having me. And this is Cindy. I'm so excited to be here today. To kick us off, let's talk about the benefits of instructor-led training. Why not just move everything to self-paced e-learning? So many benefits to having instructor-led training move to a virtual classroom instead of just all self-paced. Because when you meet together at the same time, you can communicate, discuss, dialogue, especially for topics that are perhaps emotional or uh, interpersonal or topics that it just warrants a conversation. The live online classroom allows you to have those live conversations, either in a large group or small group settings. And so there's so many benefits because of that. Exactly. I I want to agree. Having in-person online training uh, when you have the virtual classrooms, it allows you to have that opportunity to interact with other people, uh, not just between the instructor and the students, but also between the students themselves. It gives them that opportunity to learn from one another, and it also helps them build those personal relationships that you don't really have that aren't available when you're doing just e-learning training in a learning management system. Definitely. And obviously, with the pandemic going on right now, there's an immediate need to transition to a virtual classroom. But beyond this current crisis, what reasons do organizations have for converting in-person training to virtual training? Um, Cindy, do you want to start us off? I think that's an interesting question because for many organizations, virtual learning is new, but really it's been around. My first virtual class was almost 20 years ago and in an environment where I needed to reduce my budget, I needed to reach a global audience and uh, discovered the world of online learning. Right now, uh, especially when we're seeing the move to everything going online, uh, but 
beyond that, the benefit of reaching more learners. I mean, think about a typical organization that might have offices in different cities, but then you have one location that only has a handful of people. You make that business decision, are we going to put on an in-person class there, or should we just offer a program remotely? So it increases the reach. It often creates a learning experience where you might not have had that opportunity before. And then one more, because we do virtual learning often in shorter chunks, we're more efficient, we're more efficient with our time, with our productivity, and when a participant is learning something in context, maybe they learn how to respond to a customer complaint that morning and that afternoon in the workplace, they're actually doing it, as opposed to a traditional class where they might have spent a day or two in the classroom, and it's not until some point later in time that they're actually using that skill. Definitely. Heather, do you have anything to add? Yeah, it's, uh, you know, thinking of it from the business perspective, it's also there's so many financial benefits. Um, if you are not flying someone around the world to give in-person trainings, you're saving all of that cost and time that can also be converted to doing other work. Um, and it also can uh, help get those trainings out there more, more quickly, uh, like Cindy had said. Maybe time is of the essence, like it is right now, where there are certain trainings that need to be done on a massive level, and it's easy to get all of these trainings out and to facilitate that more quickly. Thanks. So now we've established the why, let's tackle the how. First of all, when looking at a large portfolio of courses, how can training managers identify which ones to convert? Uh, Heather, do you want to start us off this time? Sure. So when you're looking at which courses to convert for conversion, you want to look at what you currently have, assess it, and prioritize it based on the need. What most companies had planned at the beginning of the year on January 1st in terms of learning and development, what those goals were and what they were working on then are different from what they're working on right now. Um, there's different topics that have come up and there are different things that are relevant and some that are becoming irrelevant. So if you had planned on doing new hire orientation training and that was going to be your focus, right now many companies are actually going through layoffs and they are not looking at hiring people due to the economy and what's coming. So it would be better to actually convert that into a, a training for, for a group of people who are more senior at a senior level, maybe a year plus, uh, you know, to show your commitment to them and to make sure they know that you're invested in them. I think those are all good points. And what I would add is that I think you can do any type of training online. And so when you're looking at your course catalog or the offerings or what your uh, employees need, really anything, if it's designed well and if it's uh, something that you've got the technology, the tools to be able to do, then you can move that online. Great. What are some specific best practices when it comes to virtual classroom training? Um, how can training professionals actually leverage these best practices? Cindy, do you want to start us off? 
I do, and I think one of the biggest mistakes that we make as learning professionals, especially somebody that's new, is that they take this really interactive in-person program that's designed for 15 or, or 20 people, a typical class, and then they move it online and they turn it into a lecture and they decide we're going to invite the entire company and there's several hundred people who come and we're just not going to get the same outcomes. What we know about successful learning is true, both in person as well as online, that smaller groups are able to have discussions, that they can get feedback from a trained or expert facilitator, that you can be just as interactive online, than, uh, maybe even more so than in an in-person class. So the best practices are remembering what we know about really good, really interactive online adult learning. I agree. I think we also, you know, in terms of best practices, just starting before we are even having those, uh, those classroom trainings, you want to start in the beginning by, by practicing. Um, we practice when we are going to give a speech. We practice when we have live in-person classroom trainings. So you also want to make sure that you are running test sessions with yourself if you are the facilitator. Um, do it with other members of your team. Make sure that the technology that you're using is actually working. For example, I thought I had Zoom working correctly on all of my platforms and I went to go have a virtual meeting on my phone last week and it would not download. I had no idea why that happened. So you want to make sure that you have everything prepared for, you have a facilitator ready to troubleshoot. You have wanted to make sure that you uh, addressed any potential issue that would arise during that training. And just by practicing, you can hit every aspect of that. That's a great point. I think we're all, we're all seeing these days uh, the importance of making sure your technology is working and then even going with the flow when, when something unexpected happens. So in today's business environment, what does successful virtual training look like when it's, when it's all going smoothly? Uh, Cindy, do you want to start us off with this one? Sure. I think that there are three components to any successful virtual training program. And the first one is that you have an interactive design, that it's been designed for a social interactive discussion. There is certainly a place for somebody giving a presentation, somebody just sharing uh, their story or sharing product information. Um, but if we're talking about learning and training and getting results, then we want to have that interaction. So number one, interaction. Number two, a facilitator who can engage. Heather talked a minute ago about practice and the importance of making sure that you've got everything together, and, and it's that facilitator's responsibility to do that. So a facilitator or a trainer who can interact and engage with a remote audience who's going to have excitement and enthusiasm in their voice, who's comfortable using the technology and creating that comfortable environment. The third piece, which is the one we often forget about, are prepared participants. That participants know that this isn't just an online meeting. It's just not another session that they're going to that's on their calendar, but there's a learning uh, objective, that there's skill that they're going to be practicing, that we're not bringing them in and telling them you can mute and multitask, but instead <laughs> that they've come and they're ready to learn. 
and they have that mindset of learning. I find that that's often a challenge, and, and you overcome that by setting expectations, by taking the time in advance of the session to prepare your participants just as much as you're preparing your facilitators. Yeah, and, and to build on what Cindy said, we can also use something in terms of blended learning, so giving them activities to prepare or do in advance of the training. And like she had mentioned, you know, getting them ready for the session and then making sure that you are building upon every session that you have. If there's multiple sessions, give them activities to work on in between. And they don't need to be long drawn out presentations that they're going to put together and present, but something that helps them uh, continue to build upon what they learned that they then can use for perhaps the next training session that they have. Those are some great tips. What challenges do you think training professionals face when shifting to virtual delivery and how can we overcome those challenges? I think um, Heather just mentioned one. Yeah, talking about the uh, asking participants to do things on their own and people thinking it's optional. So I would recommend you never call it pre-work or you never say, hey, here's something if you want to do, right? That if you're going to create the blend that you are building the components on top of each other. So I think that's the first one. And then one other one that comes to mind is the assumption that all online events or meetings are the same, and, and they're not. They're uh, distinguished between a meeting and a presentation and a training, and, and let's just get clear uh, and set those expectations in advance. Heather, what do you think? I think there are so many challenges uh, along with that. The number one challenge that I have faced with virtual trainings and what most of my uh, trainers actually encounter is the learner engagement. There, it's very difficult across cultures, uh, depending on where we're coming from, to get everyone to actually shut off their phone, turn off their email, uh, and be an active participant in a training session. And a lot of that does fall on us to make sure that our, you know, our sessions are, are interactive enough and that we are doing everything we can to break the ice and, and get some um, of our learners, you know, out of their shell and participating. There's some things that we can do, like starting with an, with an icebreaker, um, going around the room, around uh, the, the screen, introducing everyone, um, asking everyone if they do have a camera to use it. That helps, that helps you see who it is that you're talking to. You can see if they're uh, actually looking at you or if they're looking at a screen to the right or left. And that really helps bring everyone a little bit closer together, having everyone introduce each other. And then just in terms of the, the learner engagement, there's a few like, I'm sure you know all of these um, as well, but there's a few tips like making sure that your presentations, um, that if you're using them, that they are they're visually stimulating with graphics or perhaps a, a short video and making sure that you're using animation just to keep the learner's eye like moving because if they get distracted, we're naturally attuned to looking at something. You know, we all say, oh, there's a squirrel. Well, if that you have another line appear on the screen every time you bring it up to discuss with the class, then you'll be bringing their attention back to, to the classroom. 
something that, Heather, you just said that I want to pick up on was about webcams because we know that the engagement factor skyrockets when we're on webcam, not just the facilitator but everyone. And there are people who are still today, April of 2020, a little nervous about turning their webcam on. And I'd like to see a day when it's no longer an issue, right? We all have our, uh, oh no, I, you know, I'm not my hair. I'm not liking my hair today, or, or I didn't brush my teeth today, or whatever it is. But um, we're now at a point where most people, not everyone, but most people, their equipment is equipped with a camera uh, that can be turned on. And the ones who don't, you know, as we move forward into uh, the future, that's becoming standard issue on most laptops or devices. And so, you know, a year, two years from now, that may no longer be an issue. Um, but overcoming our fear of being on camera. And um, I'd like to share a couple of quick tips that just little things like putting the camera at eye level are going to make it uh, appear a whole lot more professional. Simple little thing that somebody can do. Uh, use a platform that allows you to blur your background or put a background that isn't your pile of laundry in the living room if you're working from home, right? I mean, there's lots of tips that you can share like that with your participants to help them feel more comfortable. So 10 years ago, I used to say, don't turn on the webcams. Today in 2020, let's help our participants feel more comfortable and be able to see each other face-to-face, -face, even when they're remotely or physically apart. Yeah, and one thing you can actually do, since most of us have something like, we all have a phone, we have a mobile phone that also has a, might have a camera integrated into it, most of the technologies that we use do have an app that you can install, be it on, you know, an iPhone, iPad, a mobile, a tablet or of some sort. So you can still do the interaction and see the presentation on your computer, but then you also can have that camera on your phone so that way you can uh, be able to see the other people. And that's something that I've been recommending to quite a few people in, in my company in the past few days. Yeah, great. Yeah, those are some great tips. I, uh, I definitely relate to the discomfort of the webcam, but I think uh, another, another thing that I found is that the more I do it, the more comfortable I am with it. And um, the first virtual classroom training I ever did was uh, Training Industries Certified Professional and Training Management Program. And I was really nervous at first about being on the webcam, but by the end of the program, it was just, oh, this is great. We can all see each other. And so I think... Uh, practice makes perfect. And I guess in this case, practice makes comfort. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The more we do it, the more, the more comfortable we get. And there's things that different, different people have been doing in order just to increase their comfort levels. Having those, those water cooler chats, you know, teams are doing that these days just to get more comfortable uh, using the camera and becoming uh, you know, reaching out to people to talk to them when right now with COVID-19, we're all self-isolating at the moment. Yeah, it's definitely, definitely a good point. I guess on a final note, there's a lot of unknowns right now as we're recording this episode, including questions about how the coronavirus pandemic will impact the economy. 
how can virtual training help businesses and their employees succeed, especially in a time of such economic uncertainty? Cindy, do you want to start us off? I think it's a huge benefit that we have the technology available that we do in 2020 because we've never been better equipped to have a remote workforce who can still connect through technology to each other. You know, in times of uncertainty, it's relationships, it's reaching out, it's communication that help ground us. It's checking in with each other. And virtual learning, when we come together in these live environments, allows for the social connection. Even though the phrase socially distant is quite popular right now, it's really not social distance. It's physical distance. We're physically staying apart. We shouldn't be socially staying apart. And so virtual learning allows us to stay connected to one another, to stay connected with the learning. One other thought about that, when we think about times where we've had downturns in the past, whether it's been global or just for specific regions or specific industries, the organizations that come out of those downturns better equipped, better uh, able to handle the future are the ones that took the opportunity to uh, refresh, renew, recharge, revisit. They've maybe taken the time to uh, offer training that they didn't have time for in the past or to pour into their people because we often are strapped for time or strapped for uh, resources. And today, uh, with some businesses not being as busy as they were, what a perfect time to be pouring into your people. I often think about firefighters. What do they do when they're not fighting fires? They're back at the station preparing, cleaning, training, doing all the things that will equip them the next time a fire comes. So my encouragement to organizations is if you're able to use this time for that, you'll be better equipped and better prepared for the future. Wow, Cindy, I don't know if I would even be able to add too much to that. Um, I, everything you said, you hit the nail on the head. We need to be sure that during these times we're still investing in our training. It shows our employees that we are invested in them it gives them stability, which we are all craving right now. Um, and it really is preparing, virtual training is preparing people not for the here and now and the jobs that they have, but for the future. It's getting ready if for once we're done with this COVID-19 situation, everyone will be better able to have the virtual trainings in the future around the world. So you're better prepared as a company overall and will be able to hopefully avoid situations like this in the future, but we'll, we'll be prepared for them. Thanks, both of you. That really highlights the importance of learning at, the, at this time and really supporting uh, our people. So I uh, appreciate that, that note from both of you. Well, that wraps up this episode. Uh, Heather and Cindy, thanks so much for joining us today on The Business of Learning. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thank you so much. And thanks to all of our listeners for tuning in. If you're enjoying this podcast, please rate and review us on your podcast platform of choice. These ratings and reviews help other learning leaders find us. You can find out more information on virtual learning on our website. Visit trainingindustry.com slash trainingindustrypodcast for more. Thanks for listening. If you have feedback about this episode or would like to suggest a topic for a future program, email us at info at trainingindustry.com or use the contact us page at trainingindustry.com. 
Thanks for listening to the Training Industry Podcast.